Well, good morning, church. Welcome to church. So good to be in the house of the Lord. Welcome if you're watching online. I know God has already done a huge work uh, among our church family and anyone that's participating as a guest. Welcome. Um, I have to say we had uh, dinner last night, Carrie and I, and we had a great time with some friends and we were talking about my son, Micah, whose birthday is today. Today is his birthday, July 26th. And Carrie and I realized last night, um, we've been saying that this September, we've been married 25 years. Well, we found out last night that Micah's 25, so I knew that was impossible. The numbers weren't adding up. So actually last year, Carrie and I were married 25 years. This year, we're gonna be married 26 years, um, which works out well because we've been saying for years on our 25th, we're gonna do something big. And now it's already passed. I've missed it. Uh, so anyway, and now it's, it's 26. So I don't feel so bad with the condition of quarantine and lockdown on our 26. It's just 26, you know. Uh, we'll, we'll have to celebrate 27 next year. But happy birthday, Micah. I love you. I am excited to start a new series today. And I think we're going to have fun. We just finished a nine-week series called Self-Quarantine. And, and this series is going to be a little bit different because I have a love-hate relationship with fear. Like, it's this push and pull. Like, I don't like to be scared for real, for real, you know? But I do, I kind of like to be uh, scared. I enjoy the, the thrill of a good suspense movie. I enjoy the stomach dropping on a roller coaster. I enjoy being scared when people jump out of the dark saying, happy birthday. Like, I like that kind of fear. But by and large, fear for most of us, rather friend or foe, has found fellowship in the life of believers. We have partnered with fear on some level. And in this new series, FOMO, fear of missing out. I'm not talking about good fear versus bad fear. Okay, I wanna make sure we all understand that. That's not what this series is about. Instead, I want to dig into what I call and what I believe the Bible describes as holy fear. Holy fear. Proverbs 9:10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Everybody say that with me. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. One more time. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So fear in Hebrew is yare, which means reverence, to revere, to respect. Now, I'm not really gonna dissect that much more, except to say that we would do well to fear the Lord to respect the Lord, to revere the Lord. I mean, how many of us know Jesus as our friend, but not as our King? That's where the fear of the Lord comes in. Holy fear gives birth to wisdom. If the Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, then holy fear gives birth to wisdom. What does wisdom give birth to? Well, you can do a, a simple read through of, of Proverbs and find out what wisdom gives through. I've written just a few examples. Wisdom gives birth to divine protection from evil, temptation, and misleading emotions. Wisdom releases a good self-image. Wisdom brings prosperity and good health. 
In other words, there are some things that you should fear because fear releases wisdom and wisdom gives birth to a whole lot of benefits in our life. Today, we're gonna talk about FOMO, fear of missing out on the truth. Fear of missing out on the truth. Father, I come before you today. God, I just thank you for our time together. I thank you for everyone that has joined in this room to hear from you. Everyone that has joined online to connect with what you're doing through the Exchange Church. God, I ask that your spirit would just continue to move among us. God, that you would bring revelation to our hearts. God, we, we thank you for this moment. In Jesus' name, I pray, let the church say, amen, amen. Now, I wanna begin by laying a framework um, I have a lot of information today. Someone sang a song, we've got a long way to go and a short time to get there, right? That's how I feel about today's sermon. So uh, I'm going to move really quickly. I hope that you brought your journal, your, your paper, and your pen so that you can take notes because I'm going to offload a lot of information. But before I really get to the meat of what I want to talk to you about today, I have to lay a framework for our discussion so that we are on the same page on the perspective of truth foundations. So there are multiple perspectives of the foundations of truth. And we have to at least agree on the foundation of truth uh, because if we get this wrong, then nothing else I share today or the next seven weeks, this is an eight week series I'm planning for. If we get this wrong, if we disagree on this, then nothing else matters. So this foundation has to be agreed upon between you and I, all right? There are three perspectives that I want to throw on the table, and I want you to look at the, the warts and the beauty and everything about these three perspectives, um, just so that you know what perspective you hold, okay? The three things I want to share is relativism, absolutism, and universalism. Relativism, absolutism, and universalism. So relativism, what is that? That is the belief that knowledge, truth, or morality exist in relationship to culture, society, or historical context. It's relative, right? Now, there are some things that are relative, like bananas. Are bananas delicious? Well, that's relative. You, you put bananas on an ice cream boat, with some caramel and hot fudge, bananas are wonderful. But bananas that are really, really brown and dark and mushy and squishy and you've got gnats flying around and the, the tip of it's already fallen off? No. Bananas are not wonderful, right? You may love pizza, he may hate pizza. You may love lasagna, he may or she may hate lasagna. So there are some things in life that by nature are relative. It just depends right? But this notion of truth being relative is something that we have to grab onto because it says that each person can live their own truth. That's what relativism says. Each person or subculture or subgroup can live their own truth. Now, you got to watch that because what it's really saying is not that their perspective is their truth, their perspective is the truth. 
right? So relativism is a slippery slope. Absolutism. Absolutism is the belief in absolute truth, absolute principles in political, philosophical, ethical, and theological matters. So these truth foundations, by the way, it doesn't just affect the gospel. It affects a worldview. Are you with me? Absolutism says there is one truth, and it doesn't really matter if you feel the truth is different, you're wrong, okay? And I've thrown in the third one that I want to talk about, universalism, and I just threw that into the mix because I want to make sure that our body of believers, our congregation is aware of what universalism says. I won't, I won't talk about it too much, but before I tell you what universalism says, can we just pause for a moment and let's just acknowledge the tension that's in the room from relativism and absolutism. Let's just acknowledge, that's tough. Some of you are like, well, I don't know where I stand. Some of you, maybe if you've not given it enough thought, you already know where you stand, but I wanna challenge that for a moment. Here's an example. Lying is wrong, yes? That's an absolute truth, I think. Lying is wrong. Is lying wrong in all situations? Was lying wrong for the Germans that were hiding the Jews as the Nazi soldiers knocked on the door and asked them if there were any Jew refugees hiding in their attic? Was that wrong? Relativism would say it's not wrong. Absolutism says that lying lying is wrong. We just agreed lying is wrong. So you see there's a tension. Would you agree? Yeah, murder. (laughs) Murder is bad. Wouldn't you agree? Murder's wrong. But is murder always wrong? (laughs) Two in the morning, you hear something break a window in your home and you've got a wife and kids to protect is it always wrong what about a nation who's trying to overthrow your own country and the country has to go to war you go to war or you die is is murder wrong can we at least just acknowledge the tension that exist in this space i i don't want to move too quickly over relativism and absolutism Otherwise, we miss the point that, that sometimes God is just in the tension. Sometimes we, we can be so secure in our philosophy and our dogma that we miss where God is really at and what he's really breathing on. But universalism, um, that's where universalism, I think, enters the stage. It, it's capitalizing on this notion of tension. And I'll just, spoiler alert, I hate universalism. I hate it. I think it's demonic, and I'll tell you why. Universalism, at least in the theological realm, says that eventually the blood of Jesus will atone for every human. In other words, it doesn't matter what you believe. It doesn't matter what you think or say or do or become or any of that. The blood of Jesus will atone, whether they receive the sacrifice or not. Universalism says, it's all right. Everybody's going to heaven. 
Now, I'll tell you that's demonic because if we go to John 14, 6, Jesus makes a very absolute statement. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Doesn't that sound like an absolute statement to you? Yeah. I believe that a lot of our theology leans into the absolutist category. There is no other way to the Father except through Jesus. Now, why, why is this important for you and I in our discussion today of truth? Because Jesus doesn't have truth. He is truth. Our pursuit of truth begins and ends in Jesus. We don't go to Jesus for some truth and go to Buddha for other truth and go to spiritual yoga for another truth and go to deep inner working meditation for another. Are you with me? Jesus is truth. He's not just offering you truth. He's offering you relationship. And when you get relationship, you get truth. Being a, being a good person won't save you. Praying to the universe won't save you. Mother Earth won't save you. Buddha can't save. The gods of Hinduism won't save. The god of Islam will not save you. Money won't save you. Having a good family won't save you. Having a great reputation won't save you. Education won't save you. Friends won't save you. I hope I've made myself clear that Jesus is the only way to the Father. He is the way. He is the truth. And he is the life. Can I get a good amen if you got it? And you're like, come on, pastor, move on. All right. We must agree then that our source of absolute truth is Jesus, who is the son of God, sorry, who is the son of the God of the Bible. This is very important. Jesus is the truth, who is the son of the God of the Bible. He wasn't just a good prophet. He wasn't just a good teacher. Jesus is the truth, and the son of the God of the Bible. Do you agree with that? If you already agree with that statement, then you are being way too easy on me because I am here today to prove that statement to you. I'm going to prove it, right? Because too many times I think as Christians, we just accept what the preacher says because it sounds like what I've heard all my life. It sounds like what I think the gospel is, but I, I want to make sure that I'm empowering you to go to the word to make sure that even good old Pastor Trey is not deceiving you. Yes. Honey, why did you get so excited on that? <laughs> <laughs> so I need to prove to you, um, here's what I need to prove to you, okay? You didn't ask me to prove this, but I'm going to prove this to you. I need to prove to you that Jesus is the son of God. Okay, we've already established in scripture that he's the truth. I need to prove to you that Jesus is the son of God. I'm going to do that first, okay? Um, and it's tricky because I'm going to use scripture to prove this to you. But after I prove this to you through scripture, I'm going to prove to you that scripture is infallible and true. Beyond a reasonable doubt, I'm going to prove to you that God's word is absolutely true. By the end of today's sermon, I will have proven to you, 
I hope, whew, a lot of pressure, that God's word is infallible and absolutely true. And if I succeed in proving that to you, then you can trust that what I've said previously, that Jesus is the son of God is absolutely true. And you can trust that Jesus is the only way, the truth and the life, okay? That's where we're headed. I need to prove to you first uh, that Jesus is the son of God and scripture says that Jesus is God's son. Scripture says that he was born of a virgin. Scripture says that Jesus was slain to take away the sins of the world. But I want to read to you an eyewitness account. Not, not just a scripture verse of this happening as if it's historical context. I want you to feel the emotion of an eyewitness account of Jesus. So I want to take you to 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 16 through 21. He says, for we were not making up clever stories when we told you about the powerful coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We saw his majestic splendor with our own eyes when he received honor and glory from God the Father. The voice, the voice from the majestic glory of God said to him, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. We ourselves heard that voice from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. Because of that experience, we have, we have even greater confidence in the message proclaimed by the prophets. You must pay close attention to what they wrote, for their words are like a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and, the cry, and Christ, the morning star, shines in your hearts. Above all, above all you, you guys have to realize something. You got to realize that no prophecy in scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. No, those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from God. So here, Peter declares that he and the other apostles were eyewitnesses to the glory of Jesus. Did, did you feel just even in the words, like this inner conviction, like this isn't a block of text that he's trying to hoax the world on. Did, did, did that set right with you? Did you just sense you're reading their eyewitness account of seeing the glory of God and the spirit of God that is in you should have created an internal witness to that. So if you, if you didn't feel what I just read, read it again at home. And I want you to check yourself and see if you feel that internal witness because this was an eyewitness account. And out of all these glorious events that Peter uh, talks about, he chooses this moment of transfiguration where Jesus openly displayed his glory as a certain proof of his eternal majesty. So it wasn't just about fish in a boat. It wasn't just about a lame that then walked. It wasn't just about a deaf that then heard. Because as time went on, maybe Peter could have justified or rationalized because I know that God loves to use a lot of natural events to accomplish his will. What, what stuck with Peter on this mountaintop is this glory experience where he saw the eternal Jesus shining in glory. That's an eyewitness account. Is Jesus Christ the son of God? Yes, he is. How do we know it? Because the father said so. In verse 17, the father said, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. In verses 19 through 21, 
Because of that experience, we have greater confidence in the message proclaimed by the prophets. You must pay attention to what they wrote, for their words are like a lamp shining in a dark place. We know from verse 19 and 21 that he's saying, after this like, majestic encounter with Jesus, I trust even more now what was written in Scripture. Like, I believed it before. But now, I can't unsee what I've just seen. Are you with me? So he's saying, how much more do I now trust what is actually written? There was a guy who bought a barometer, you know, a barometer that measures air pressure. And he gets the barometer home. He lives on the East Coast. And he looks at it, and it's stuck to hurricane, the needle. And so he hits the barometer, and he tries to get it to move, and it's still stuck. It's a hurricane, so he gets upset. He's like, I'm going to have to return this um, to, to the company. So he puts it back in the package, and the next morning, he goes off to work, and he works quite a ways away. And he puts the package in the mailbox with this scorching letter to the company saying, this barometer does not work. It's stuck on hurricane. That evening, he came home, and a hurricane had hit where he lived and took away his home. The word of God is as accurate as that barometer. Whether you see it around you, whether you see the hurricane coming on the horizon, if the word of God declares it's true, it's true. You you don't have to worry, is it going to happen someday? Because we understand that all scripture is true. Now let's assess where we are. Okay, in my proof to you through scripture. Uh, We know that the Bible says Jesus is the son of God. Do you at least agree the Bible says that? Okay, I'm not asking you if the Bible's true. I'm just asking, do you agree the Bible says that? Yes. Um, Can we at least agree that the Bible gives a very compelling eyewitness account that Jesus has some kind of supernatural power and is real? Yeah? Okay, I agree with that. Um, We know that the Bible says... The Bible is the inspired word of God. Do you agree that the Bible says that? I'm not asking you if the Bible's true yet. I'm asking you, does it say that? Yes, the Bible says it is the inspired word of God. In other words, scripture is God's revelation to man. It is not man's description of God. This is not a historical book, man's description of God. This is God's revelation to you. All right, so we we agree. However, none of that matters if we don't believe that the Bible is without error. None of that matters if we don't believe that this Bible is true. Therefore, um, I have to prove to you that the Bible is true, that this is really the word of God, all right? You ready for me to prove that to you? There are two things that I believe about Scripture first that I I want you to hear. I believe that a preacher... Oh, God, that was a lot of spit, sorry. I believe that a, that even scared me. I was like, Corona. Uh, I believe that a preacher can preach the word, that a teacher can teach the word, that a student can study the word, but only the Holy Spirit can reveal the word. That's one thing that I believe. Um, I also believe that the only thing that can interpret Scripture is scripture itself. So if I don't understand something, 
I can't look at culture to define what scripture is saying. I can't say, but wait, my God wouldn't do that. He's a loving God. He doesn't care about X, Y, Z. He blah, 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 blah. Do you know what I mean? I can't let anything outside the Bible define what's in the Bible. All right, so that's my premise. Now, how do I know the Bible is true? Easy, the Bible proves that the Bible is true. How? By its prophetic record, its prophecy. There is no other book on planet Earth that foretells the future with the accuracy that the Bible does. Now, I want to give you some examples of prophecies in the Bible that have, without a shadow of a doubt, come true. Is that all right if we do that? All right, I'm going to do some examples. Can I bring out the whiteboard real quick? I'm just going to write them down for you. I've only got a few minutes left. Let's give it up for Leander. He just makes that whiteboard look so holy. Thank you, sir. All right. So I got to prove to these people that the Bible is true by showing you that the Bible has said something that actually happened that has come to pass. All right. I've got several examples. I'm just going to write them down. I'm not drawing pictures today. I'm just going to write them down so that that you can take notes because it's a lot of information. And if, if you're one of those lazy people that don't take notes, you can then snap just a photo of what I do at the end of sermon, okay? Isaiah, Isaiah 7, 14. Isaiah 7, 14. That says that Jesus was born in the city of Bethlehem of a virgin. Isaiah says that. Do you know when Isaiah was written? 700 years B.C., Side note, did you know the whole history timeline of humanity believes enough in Jesus that our timeline starts and ends with Jesus, B.C. and A.D.? Interesting. Side note. So Isaiah says that Jesus is born in the city of Bethlehem of a virgin. That was 700 years before Jesus was born. We know that to be true. The next one, um, Jeremiah 31.15 Jeremiah 31, 15. Um, Jeremiah 31:15 says infants in Bethlehem were massacred, and that was prophesied, let's see, 600 BC, 600 years before Christ. Then we have Hosea 11:1 1, says that Jesus is going to go down into Egypt and return. Hosea 11:1. 1. Hosea 11, one is 722, I think. Yeah, 722 BC. 722 years before Jesus was even born, um, Hosea prophesied that. Isaiah 9, one through two. Isaiah talks about Christ's ministry in Galilee. I'm not gonna write that one down. I'm just gonna read a few, okay? Um, Zechariah 9.9, Zechariah predicts the triumphal entry into Jerusalem on a colt and his betrayal for 30 pieces of silver in chapter 11. That was 500 years before Christ, 500 years before Jesus is ever born. 
we see that it is written down that Jesus is going to make a triumphal entry on a colt and he'll be uh, betrayed by 30 pieces of silver. Not a coincidence. Psalm 22. This is a good one. Oh my God. So, I don't know what's wrong with this pen marker. It's got to be the marker, not me. Psalm 22. Um, I really encourage you to read that. That was written 500 BC. 500 years before Jesus. This was even before crucifixion was a thing. Before crucifixion was a thing, David, the psalmist, writes in detail a picture, a prophetic picture of Jesus Christ being crucified on the cross, of his, his garments being traded by people, casting lots for his garments. I, I challenge you, read Psalm 22, realizing that it was 500 years, 580 years There we go, 580 years BC, and you will be amazed that it came to pass. Isaiah 53 gives a detailed pic picture of the Lord's rejection. Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 gives a detailed picture of the Lord's rejection, mistreatment, death, and burial. That is, again, 700 years BC. We know all of these things to be factual and to be true. These few prophecies, and there, there are many more than what I've just said, um, should impress us with the reliability of the Bible. Uh, but if not, if that's not enough, I want to tell you a few more. Isaiah 45. Isaiah 45. And it starts before 45. You can start in chapter 43, I think. 43, 44, 45, talks about Cyrus. Cyrus is going to be the king, um, the king of Persia, and he's going to, he conquers Babylon, and it is written 700 BC. You guys ever heard uh, of Cyrus? Yeah, he's the king that conquers Babylon and helps Israel. Uh, you know, people have, have claimed that Trump represents some of the signs of Cyrus. Ironically, he's the 45th president. You can take that for whatever. But here's the interesting thing. In 700 BC, when Isaiah 45 says Cyrus, the Persian king, overtakes Babylon, that is over 100 years before Cyrus is even born. Isaiah 45 is not a historical document. It is a prophetic look at what's going to happen for the people of Israel. Are you with me? Yes. So if you don't know that and you read Isaiah 45, you just think you're in history class. This is a prophetic moment where Isaiah didn't even know of a guy named Cyrus, but the Lord spoke it into his spirit and he wrote it on the page. And over a hundred years later, it came true. Cyrus was born. He became the Persian king. I mean, Come on, what are the odds? Cyrus is born. He's named Cyrus. He becomes the Persian king. He overthrows Babylon and he helps Israel. What are the odds? Still not convinced that the Bible is the word of God written by the one who knows the future? Well, the greatest proof that I know of to prove the accuracy of the Bible is Israel. There are measurable prophecies about Israel, concerning Israel that have already come to pass. The land of Israel is the most important plot of land on planet earth. 
It's the most important and most powerful nation on earth. It's not America. It's not America. It's Israel. And that's, that's crazy. But Ezekiel 5, 5 says, See, I have set thee in the midst of the nation. God says to the land of Israel, I have set you in the middle of the nations. And if you look geographically, it's in, right in the middle of three massive continents. But the interesting thing to me is that since the beginning of time, Israel has been at the hub of our discussions, at the hub of national tensions, at the hub of medical breakthrough, of all kinds of blessings that have poured out from the land of Israel. From Bible times to today, everything revolves around Israel. In fact, nations are even divided over for Israel against Israel. Would you agree? Can we at least agree on that? That Israel is a big deal? Did you know that Israel is smaller than New Jersey? Think about that. Something smaller than New Jersey has the focus of the world. Why? Because it's God's land. God said it was his land. The world knows that it's his land. Even beyond presidents and dignitaries, the spirit world wants desperately to demolish God's land, Israel. Something smaller than the state of New Jersey has nations threatening nuclear attack. I, this should wake you up a little bit. Like, there's something to this. Nobody's arguing over Wyoming. Right? So the prophecies concerning Israel, Isaiah 11, 10 through 12, tells us that Israel will be gathered again twice after being twice. <laughs> Israel will be gathered twice after being scattered. And that happened after 70 years in Babylon. We talked about Cyrus. God brought them back in 586 BC. That was once. Then God fulfilled his promise again to Israel in 1948, May 14th, 1948. For almost two millennia, the Hebrew people were scattered around the world. And the extreme persecution under the Nazi rule opened the door for the Jews to return back to Israel. So the nation of Israel as prophesied by Isaiah 700 years before Christ, it was scattered twice and brought back twice. Everybody say, wow. Okay, wow. Next one, Isaiah 66, 8. It prophesies that Israel would be born in a single day. One single day. It's unheard of. A nation is never born in a single day, but Israel was on May 14th, 1948. Great, Great Britain released control. Uh, the... Uh, Jews at that time stood up and claimed their territory and President Truman all in the same day acknowledged the state of Israel. In a single day, the nation of Israel was born, which is a prophetic sign that in 1948, we entered into the end times. Now, this is not an end times message. I think I will get there in FOMO. We'll talk about the end times and what the rapture is and what that, that time frame looks like. I'm excited about that to share that with you. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying to you is the fact, the mere fact that Israel was created in a single day is a prophetic sign that the Bible knew it 2,500 years ago. Yes? Uh, as the nation began to build, the Bible also says um, 
the Jews would be reestablished, come in from the north. Jeremiah 16 says that. And we know that to be true in 1998, no, 1998 through 2002, President, Russian President Miguel Gorbachev opened up the borders of Russia and unwittingly fulfilled Jeremiah's prophecy. And it allowed 1.1 million Jews, Messianic Jews, meaning Jews who have accepted Jesus Christ as their savior to go back into the promised land. That is huge. That is, that is incredible. Joel 3 prophesied that there will be worldwide anti-Semitism and the land of Israel will be divided up. That's a given. We know that's happening. We know that the land has been divided up under pressure from the United Nations. Israel has been forced to relinquish control of portions of the West Bank, the Gaza Strip, and the Sinai Peninsula. Um, They've been under increasing international pressure, including from the United States of America, by the way, to concede East Jerusalem to the Palestines. Again, all of this attention for a country smaller than the state of New Jersey. The Bible is true. Its prophecies are proven, and if God's word, it's God's word to us, and if God's word is true, if it's been right this many times, it will continue to be right. Have I proven to you at least that there are significant portions of prophecy that the Bible has predicted that has in fact measurably come true? All right, the Bible is true, and I'm done, I promise you, after this. In the beginning, Adam and Eve walked with God. They talked with God. They had relationship with him. I can't even imagine. I can't even imagine to stand before the creator face to face, heart to heart, and to be so fully known and seen and loved. Like I know that he knows and sees and loves us, but to be in the garden face to face, tangibly with the creator, And he said, you can do anything that you want except for eat of this tree, of the knowledge of good and evil. And God left and the devil shows up. And the first thing he says to Eve is, did God really say not to eat of that tree? Before the devil can destroy you, he must first deceive you. Because if you know the truth of God's word, if you know the truth of what he says about you, he can't touch you. That's why we see in the garden from day one, his goal was to steal the word that God had released to Adam and Eve. To steal the word that God had released because he must deceive you before he can destroy you. Now, check this out. Immediately after deceit, what followed? Confusion in sexuality and identity. I'm going to say that again. When the deception came upon the garden and the word was stolen, in stepped in confusion in sexuality and identity. I'm going to throw that out there and let the Holy Spirit work on that because I'm out of time. But we're going to address that in FOMO. Okay, we'll come back to that. We have to know the truth, church. We have to know the truth. Come on, we, we know we're not gonna get it from any media outlet. We have to know the truth. And did you know, 
one of my friends last night was, was made a brilliant comment of everything you need to know about the quarantine is in the Bible, everything. What wouldn't fix this life that we currently live in? Being kind to others, showing patience and humility. Like the 66 books in this Bible is the answer for everything. We have to know the truth. So I wanna help you. I wanna encourage you to get an $11 a month subscription to this thing online. That's less than Netflix. Do it for 30 days, watch all the videos that you can, then shut it off. All right, if you, if you need to. It's well worth the $11. It's theosu.ca, theosu.ca. They have all kinds of videos. I, I suppose I've watched a lot of them, but not 100%. But I think right now I can, I can safely say I endorse every video, though I've not watched every single one of them. But theosu.ca will tell you what does the Bible say about race, racism, culture? What does the Bible say about, it's really cool things like women in ministry. What does the Bible say? It breaks down revelations. It breaks down Romans. What does the Bible say about child sacrifice? What we call it abortion. What does the Bible say about abortion? What does the Bible say about transgenderism? They have tons of resources and information. What does the Bible say about homosexuality? There are tons of resources. What does the Bible say about socialism? It's great stuff. And I just really encourage you, if you want to not address culture from emotion and motives of the heart, but to engage culture with the truth of God that will last forever, to go to theosu.ca. And I'm gonna leave you with this because I'm way over time, though it's been good. I wanna read to you Paul's writing to Timothy. This is at the end of Paul's life. And I want you to pretend that Paul's speaking to you. You in a quarantine, in lockdown, in instability, economic turmoil, uncertainty of the future. I want you to imagine that Paul's speaking to you. This is the Passion Translation, 2 Timothy chapter three. I'm gonna read verses one through five, skip the next few, and then I'm gonna read 10 through 17. Listen, but you need to be aware that in the final days, the culture of society will become extremely fierce and difficult for the people of God. People will be self-centered, lovers of themselves and obsessed with money. They will boast of great things as they strut around in their arrogant pride and mock all that is right. They will ignore their own families. They will be ungrateful and ungodly. They will become addicted to hateful and malicious slander. Slaves to their desires, they will be ferocious, belligerent haters of what is good and right. With brutal treachery, they will act without restraint bigoted and wrapped in clouds of their conceit. They will find their delight in the pleasures of this world more than the pleasures of the loving God. They may pretend to have respect for God, but in reality, they want nothing to do with God's power. Stay away from people like these. Verse 10, but you, Timothy, you have followed closely my example and the truth that I have imparted to you. You have modeled your life after the love and endurance I've demonstrated in my ministry by not giving up. The faith I have, you now have. 
what I have hungered for in life has now become your longing as well. The patience I have with others, you now demonstrate. And the same persecutions and difficulties I have endured, you have also endured. Yes, you know all about what I had to suffer while in Antioch, Iconian, and Lustra. You're aware of all the persecution I endured there, yet the Lord delivered me from every single one of them for all who choose to live passionately and faithfully as worshipers of Jesus, the anointed one, will also experience persecution. But the evil men and sorcerers will progress from bad to worse, deceived and, oh man, deceiving as they lead people further and further from the truth. Yet you must continue to advance in strength with the truth wrapped around your heart, being assured by God that he's the one who has truly taught you all these things. Remember what you were taught from your childhood, from the Holy Scrolls, which can impart to you wisdom to experience everlasting life through the faith of Jesus, the anointed one. Every scripture has been written by the Holy Spirit, the the breath of God. It will empower you by its instruction and correction, giving you the strength to take the right direction and lead you deeper into the path of godliness. Then you will be God's servant, fully mature and perfectly prepared to fulfill any assignment God gives you. Father, we come before you today. God, we're not going to miss out on the truth because we know where we can find it. It's the word of God. We know that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Father, we repent right now for finding our source of truth and our objectivity of trust in anything other than you. Father, we repent for trying to create a God in our image rather than surrendering to the molding of your hand. Father, we repent for not trusting you in the process, for not continuing on and and feeling as if there is no purpose in the pain. God, we understand that the gospel is a gospel of suffering and the suffering that we endure gives way to the glory that is found in you. So Father, we just ask in the name of Jesus that the truth would be stirred within us again. Father, the seeds that have laid dormant in our life, they would come alive again. The things, Father, that we have pushed to the side and taken off the table, God, that we would examine the condition of our hearts And we would rest in knowing that we're not saved by the grace of God. We are saved by having faith in you. So God, we place our faith in you. We believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross, rose again on the third day, and he's sitting in heaven today. We believe that we can surrender fully to your will. We believe that there is is purpose for the global church, God. And we believe that there is purpose for Israel. God, we stand with Israel. God, we just declare that your land will prosper. God, we thank you that whatever you are doing in Israel, it shows what you're doing in the church. So God, we just ask that you release blessings to Israel and you bless your church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Amen.